At first, it was just one sheep per day. But as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more. Until, until one day a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Praise to you, Lord Christ, in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Y'all, please be seated. Good morning. Well, apparently, God has done something very strange. Apparently, and I say this coming off of the heels of a wonderful installation service of a new rector this last Wednesday, apparently, God, in God's providence, has decided to give you, the good people of St. George's, a new rector who, in his heart of hearts, happens to be a philosopher. And because I am a philosopher, one of the things that that means is that in undergrad, I had to take some difficult classes, but none of them were as difficult, I dare say, as uh, the Introduction to Symbolic Logic. I will never forget it. It was taught by Herbert Hochberg, probably the the most difficult class I've ever had. The textbook for that class was called Introduction to Logic by Copey and Cohen. Oh, look, I have it right here. If you open the book to the very back cover right here, um, what you see is kind of like a chart. It's kind of like a cheat sheet. This is not an easy class, trust me. And at the top of this little page here, it says, Rules of inference. Big words, right? Rules of inference. And if you look at the first little rule of inference, uh, you'll see that it is called modus ponens. Modus ponens. You know what, though? I don't need to talk to y'all this morning about modus ponens. In fact, we don't even need to talk about any of the other rules of inference here in the back of Copy and Cohen, what I'm really trying to say to y'all is this, very simply, it's this. Many of those rules of inference in the back of that textbook, many of them involve a certain form of reasoning or logic, and that form, very, very simply, is if then. If then. If A, then B. If there's smoke, there's fire. If you have a polygon with three sides, then you have a triangle, right? If, then. Now, why do I bring this up? Here's why. I'll put it into the form of a question this morning, and this is the question that I have for us on this rainy Sunday morning, on this sixth Sunday of Easter. I will put it in the form of a question. Is our God... And if, then, God. Is our God an if, then 
God, it is so easy to assume that the answer is yes. After all, almost every religion in the history of the world would preach a deity who is an if-then deity. The basic logic goes like this. If I obey God, if I obey God, then God will bless me. If I do X or Y to please or placate God, then God will give me what I want and what I need. If we perform sacrifices for God, then God will bless our crops. See, if, then. Let me ask the question in a slightly different way. Is Jesus an if-then Lord? Or take God the Father to whom Jesus is intimately praying and pouring out his heart this morning in John chapter 17. Is God the Father an if-then God? Now, dear friends, do y'all understand the question? What do you think the answer is? The answer is surprising. Mark my words, the answer is surprising and it is a two-part answer. The first part of the answer very simply is no. No, God is not an if-then God. I want you to think about the lections this morning that we just read and listened to. Nowhere does it say in all of those readings that we just did, including the Collect of the Day, nowhere does it say that if we do X, God will do Y. What does the Collect say? Does it say that God will prepare good things for us if we do X? Does it say that God will do good things for us if we tithe faithfully, if we put in X number of hours of community service, if we vote correctly, if we take intentional steps to feed the hungry? No. It simply says, oh God, you have prepared for us such good things as surpass our understanding. There is no if then there. Okay, what about, what about Acts? What about Acts chapter 17? Paul, St. Paul, preaching to the Athenians. A couple of paragraphs before that, speaking of philosophers, it, it implies that Paul is talking to Epicureans and Stoics. What about Paul here in, here in Athens, Acts chapter 1? Does Paul tell those ancient philosophers on Mars Hill, a.k.a. the Areopagus, that God will do something if they do something no. No, rather, Paul looks at his audience. This is the same Paul that we saw last week who had been holding the coats of those religious types who were stoning Stephen. Oh, my gosh. Just imagine what Paul has gone through. Just imagine how God has transformed him. And even uh, in order to bring him to the place where here he's in Athens preaching the gospel to these Athenians, does he tell them that God will do something if they do something? No. Rather, he looks at his audience and he announces to them the good news. God is already not far from you, verse 27. God is already the one in whom you live and move and have your being. God has already made you his offspring, verse 29. I didn't hear any if-then statements there. You know why? 
It's because an if-then gospel is not actually good news. It's not good news at all. The gospel is not God will bless us if we do X. It's rather God has already blessed us, therefore we might as well do X. God has already blessed us, therefore we might as well, for example, repent, as Paul says in Acts 17.30. Now, why should we repent? Is it because it will make God happy? No, it is because it will make us happy. Put it another way, it is not God who needs us to repent, it's us who need us to repent. We don't repent for God. We turn around, we renew our minds, we begin to think differently, we ask the Lord to transform us, not for God, we repent for us. And that, dear friends, this truth about repentance that it's not for God, but rather it's for us, that leads to the surprise. The surprise, you see, earlier we asked the question, is God an if-then God? And the answer was no, not at all. But the surprise is this, and it's a little unusual, but I believe it. The surprise is this. God is not an if-then God, but we are if-then creatures. The surprise is this. Our hearts are actually if-then hearts. And we see this in the psalm this morning. Look with me, if you don't mind, look with me at verse 16 in the psalm. Who can tell me what the first word is in verse 16? If. Hmm. Very interesting. It's the word if. Sounds like we might be dealing with an if then. Now, what's the second word of verse 16? Is it God? Does it say, if God had found evil in my heart? No. Strangely, it says, if I had found evil in my heart. If I'd found evil in my heart, then what? Then my intimacy with God would be blocked and stifled. If I had found evil in my heart, the psalmist is saying, I'd be stifled in my own heart. If I had evil in my heart, then I would lose the bliss and the joy and the love that I have in dwelling with God in intimate love, I'd lose my spiritual bliss. In John 4, when Jesus is talking to that woman at the well, he speaks of the springs of living water, does he not? Deep down in our hearts, had I found evil there, the psalmist is saying, then those fresh water springs would have been blocked up and clogged. The fountain of my heart, the psalmist is saying, would, would run dry. I would lose my bliss. Had I found evil in my heart, I'd have lost the intimate and blissful love flowing in my heart back and forth to and from God, God who is deep within me. That's what Jesus is describing in John 17, is it not? That's the very thing that Jesus is describing this morning in John chapter 17, is it not? On that day, Jesus tells us, you will know that I am what? In you. And that you, he says, are in me. That sounds like the language of intimacy. 
That sounds like the language of love. That sounds like the language of bliss. Jesus here in John 17 is talking about the heart intimacy of a clean conscience. Of a clean conscience. He's talking about mystical bliss. It's why we were created. It's why we're on the planet. It's why we exist. It's why the rector is doing a rector's book discussion group that has the word bliss in the subtitle of the book. More on that later. But you see, the psalmist is saying, had I found evil in my heart, I'd have lost that. I would have lost the bliss. Not God's bliss, mind you. No, no. The psalmist is talking about his bliss, our bliss. I want a clean heart, the psalmist is saying, because I want bliss in my life deep down inside. I want a clean heart because I long to be happy. We keep our hearts clean, telling the truth, not hiding, engaging openly with others. We keep our hearts clean, not so that God will be happy, but so that we will be happy. See, God is not an if-then God, but our hearts are if-then organisms. Our hearts are if-then creatures. To put it in the language of some very old-school Puritans, I never thought that I would be talking about Puritans from the pulpit of St. George's, but alas, here we are. To put it in the language of some old-school Puritans who lived several centuries ago, we cannot lose our salvation, but we can lose the assurance of our salvation. That is how they would put that. We cannot lose the objective reality that God has saved us, but we can lose our inward assurance that God has saved us, that God is with us, that God is for us. You see, our hearts are if-then hearts. They will be assured of God's love if, if we do certain things. This is why Peter this morning speaks of the joy of a clean conscience, not once, but twice. He knows that a clear conscience, verse 16, leads to inner peace. He knows that a good conscience, conscience, verse 21, leads to spiritual bliss. Dear friends, what a wonderful reality. But I want to close this morning like this. See, I've tried to convince you that God is not an if-then God, but that surprise, our hearts are if-then hearts. To repeat, our hearts will be assured of God's love if we do certain things, if we have certain attitudes, if we think certain kinds of thoughts, yes. But friends, that leaves us with a problem, does it not? See, we looked at a surprise. Now, we need a solution. We need a solution because we now have a problem. And the problem is this. Some of us don't have clean hearts. There are almost certainly people here this morning who are hiding stuff in their lives. 
almost certainly people watching online or who will be watching online or listening to the podcast in the future who have done things that make them feel ashamed. Things that have clogged, that have clogged the inner springs of their heart. What then? Are you starting to see the problem? What then? What if that's you this morning? What if my heart is full of fear? What if, what if one of the hearts of my loved ones, someone I love deeply and pray for and think about, what if their heart is full of shame and guilt because they've not been doing X or maybe because they have been doing things that they should not do? What if you are not experiencing the kind of heart intimacy and bliss that Jesus speaks of this morning in John 14. What then? What if I've lost my assurance? What if my if-then heart is flailing? Am I just screwed? Absolutely not. And here is the good news of the gospel this morning. If you're struggling today, there is a solution, but dear friends, it's, it's this. The solution is not inside of you. It's outside of you. A couple of sermons ago, I mentioned a quotation that I like a lot. God's office, quote, God's office is at the end of your rope. Well, guess where you can actually find God's office? Guess what? It's right behind me. It's literally right behind me. It is at this font. It is at this altar to which this font leads, which is why in 1 Peter 3 this morning, the apostle simply says, baptism saves you. 1 Peter 3.21, baptism saves you. See, if you can feel God's presence and love this morning flowing in your heart, good, celebrate that. Praise God, enjoy that. To quote an ancient church father of the Eastern Church, never thought I'd quote St. Isaac the Syrian, but alas, I'm doing it. Uh, to quote St. Isaac the Syrian, he says this, enter eagerly into the treasure house that is within you so that you will see the things in heaven. This isn't a Buddhist this is St. Isaac the Syrian. Enter, he says, eagerly into the treasure house that is within you so that you will see the things in heaven. Flee from sin. Dive into yourself. Mentally circle that word, dive. Dive into yourself, he says, and in your soul you will discover God and heaven, close quote. Amen. If you can feel God's love and presence flowing in your heart this morning, dive in. Yes. Dive into yourself. Enjoy that bliss, that intimate, loving presence. But if not, if you can't feel God's love for whatever reason, what then? Don't dive into yourself. That's the worst thing you can do, actually. Rather, dive outside of yourself. Instead, dive into this font. In other words, remember your baptism. You've been buried with Christ 
and raised to walk in newness of life. Do not go inside of yourself. Look to the outside of yourself. What you need right now is not subjective feelings, but objective stuff, objective stuff. Bread, wine, water. Do not plunge into yourself. Plunge your heart into this font. Plunge Christ's body into your mouth, into your throat, into your belly. Soak your tongue and your taste buds in his blood. Don't go into yourself. Put him into yourself. Then, dear friends, then, by faith alone, you will know Christ's words. I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Then you will experience bliss. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.